we've been learning some things uh, from Ephesians, many things, learning uh, about the wonderful blessings we have in Christ, all that we have, our forgiveness in Him, His uh, reign and rule, how He comes and creates a new people who relate to Him and forgiveness and, and in this new way of living, this new life, who love each other and walk uh, and look like Jesus more and more. Um, that's really what the letter of Ephesians is about, these gospel blessings and these gospel commandments, these things, these implications from the gospel. And we're learning in the latter part of this letter that this is really applied uh, in the context of a cosmic spiritual battle. And we need to be aware of that battle. We need to understand that living in light of the blessings and living in obedience comes in the context of a battle. Uh, that's just the reality for us. Certainly was the reality for the Ephesians. So we've taken time to slow down and kind of uh, review some of these truths to look at uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And we've learned different things so far. We've learned, most of all, that Christ has given us the victory. He has overcome sin and death and he rules and reigns over the enemy, so He has given us the victory. We really walk that victory out. Um, we've learned about the nature of the enemy and his allies. We've learned uh, about his schemes. We last week talked about his playbook and looked at some of the schemes as uh, given in Scripture. And this week I want to take time to look at the, the broadly the nature of our engagement with the enemy. So next week we'll start into the different components of the armor, if you're familiar with the spiritual armor in this passage. We'll look at those different components and how they function in spiritual warfare, how they uh, empower us and equip us to engage the enemy. So we'll look at specific, those specific components, but I really wanted to, before we get into those components, talk in a general way how we engage, the general nature of how we engage the enemy. We're really going to talk about it, you probably can guess it where you've seen the title, <laughs> wrestling with spiritual evil. The nature of our engagement with the enemy and his allies is that we wrestle. We wrestle with spiritual evil. So let's pray and ask God to teach us about this truth from his word. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you, our living God, that you're here with us. Thank you, God, that you dwell with us. And that you've given us your word and you, Holy Spirit, dwell in us individually and you dwell among us and you are very interested in speaking to us and meeting with us. You are a relational God who communicates. You're not an idea merely. You are the living God. You're not distant and uninvolved, but you dwell among your people. You've created and called a people to live with you. And so, Lord, we ask you accordingly that you would dwell here and you would teach us and it would be as if we were sitting at your feet, Lord Jesus, listening to you, that my teaching and proclamation would fade in the background, we would hear from you, and Lord, your kingdom would come in our lives and through our lives as a result. We would experience more of your reign, and your rule, and your kingdom, which is the ultimate reality we would experience more and more of this instead of all the things that we perhaps struggle with that will eventually all fade and pass away. So speak to us. Help me, Lord, to serve you and serve your people in this and be glorified through it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 
I'm going to read just verses 11 through 13 in this passage. Uh, the whole passage is really 10 through 20. Of course, the whole context is the entire letter. But verses 11 through 13 uh, particularly relate to this morning's topic. He says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. God's Word from Ephesians chapter 6. When I was young, uh, in junior high and in high school, I wrestled. I was on the wrestling teams in my town. Um, my senior year, I uh, believe it or not, actually wrestled at 148 pounds. Um, that was 35 years ago and 40 pounds ago. Um, it was a, a grueling sport. It was grueling. It was a difficult, challenging sport. I actually played football as well. So in football, I, I knew some degree of difficult uh, sport and so forth. I, I knew what it was to, you know, play and, and work hard and suffer injuries and stuff. Actually, wrestling was like three notches higher than football. I would come off a of football season in good shape for football and I would be exhausted in the practices for wrestling as if I was totally out of shape because they were so grueling. Actually, we had guys at times, I probably thought this once as well, of just is there any way I could do something to get out, like get an injury just to get out of practice? Because practice was, was horrific. It was just crazy. It was drilling and drilling and drilling and exercise uh, uh, over and over again, sprints and push-ups and spins. Anyone here ever wrestle? You guys know spins? The spins were the hardest. You had to put your, back, your chest on someone's back and you spin one way and they treat the whistle, you do that, and you just do it on and on forever. It was it was so grueling and so challenging. And, and we would practice every day during wrestling season, uh, just about. I think we had Saturdays off. Uh, we had a meet on Saturdays. But we would practice every day, and they were probably two hours long. And it was just all incredibly difficult and challenging. And it was all just to prepare you for six minutes of competition, only six minutes of competition. So the actual match, we would have like, I think, two or three matches a week, depending. Um, they'd only be your match would only be six minutes long, but those six minutes were so difficult that if you weren't prepared, if you weren't in shape, if you hadn't drilled all your moves, if you didn't know what you were going to do immediately, one move after another, you you would lose. You would be exhausted, uh, and you'd lose. And so it was all preparation for these six intense minutes where you were wrestling with somebody, you were, you were grappling with somebody who was probably just as strong, just as aggressive, and just as determined, and you were up close and personal in this wrestling match with this sweaty, aggressive person who wanted to basically put you on the ground on your back to get six points for the team, and sometimes they wanted to hurt you as well. Six intense minutes of wrestling. It's no accident that in this passage, when Paul talks about our engagement with the enemy, he uses the word wrestle. 
And it was a word that was used for actual wrestling competitions, the sport of wrestling. It's no accident here that he uses this word because the reality is that we are engaged in an intense, face-to-face, up-close, personal, grueling fight with the devil and his forces. That's what this word means. It, guys, it, this, isn't, this isn't a debate with the enemy. We're not sitting across a table and having a conversation. It's not a discussion. It's not an interchange. We're not there to make friends. We're not there to, to build a relationship. It's a wrestling match. We're not sitting down to dinner. Uh, we're not having guests over the house. This is a, is a wrestling match with the enemy of our souls. And at the end of it, there will be one winner and one loser. There will be one winner and one loser. That was the reality in wrestling, pretty much. Uh, there always was one winner and one loser. It was a fight, a struggle that took all your energy. And at the end, somebody won and somebody lost. The reality is, for the Christian life, it's not just six minutes. It's closer to 60 million minutes. Roughly a lifetime of engagement. And this is so important to get. This is so important to understand that we wrestle, not with flesh and blood. This is not wrestling, high school wrestling. We wrestle with the enemy and his allies. And we need to understand this. We need to understand that if you are a Christian, you are on the heavenly wrestling team. Whether you signed up for it or not, when you signed up to believe in Jesus and to trust Him and to follow Him, you were made a member of this wrestling team. Now, the good news is that not only is He our coach, but He's our very strength and life in us. He's the one who lives in us and empowers us to wrestle. And we don't wrestle alone. We wrestle together as a people, as one. That's the good news, that we have a victory. He's already won, and He leads us. He leads us in this match. So we need not fear we needn't be discouraged but we must understand that we must fight we must wrestle it's in his strength and he would even give us joy in the match but we must wrestle we must engage we must recognize that there is a battle going on here the christian life is not a life of passivity and comfort and ease though there is much blessing and much deep comfort in it. But it's in the midst of a wrestling match. And it's so important to understand that. That's what this passage teaches us. This is what the Apostle Paul wanted the Ephesians to know. It's what God wants us to know. He wants us to face this reality that we wrestle, and we must learn how to wrestle. That's what this series is about. I wrestle with you. In some ways, as a pastor, I'm maybe a more advanced wrestler or just responsible at least for the wrestling match that we're all in. I might not be any more advanced than anybody. But my job is to help you and help us in this wrestling match. And we're in this wrestling match. So what I want to do in the next 35 minutes or so is just to be a coach to help you learn how to wrestle. And we've been spending time preparing for this. We've been spending time learning about our opponent. We've been learning about his different moves, his playbook. 
And now I want to take time just to learn about the nature of our interaction, that we wrestle. And there's three aspects of wrestling that I want to talk about. First, I want to talk about that we wrestle through resisting. We resist. I want to talk about that we wrestle as we remember. Four things, actually. We wrestle as we remain in prayer. I touched that briefly, though that's very important. We'll cover more later. And then we wrestle by rebuking when appropriate. So first, we resist. In Scripture, as it talks about our engagement with the enemy, there are a number of verses that, that call us to resist. Actually, Ephesians 6.13 uh, says uh, that we are to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That word withstand in the ESV as it's translated is, is actually the word resist. If you could put those verses up, I think they're next. Um, it's the same word as resist. Uh, and so... We are to resist in the evil day. We are to stand against the enemy in the evil day. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, uh, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Remember we covered that last week in the context of suffering and anxieties. He would consume us, and we're to cast our cares upon the Lord, and that's the remedy he gives us so that the enemy doesn't consume us. But it says in there, resist him firm in your faith. We are to resist. We are to specifically resist the devil. That's important. That's how we wrestle. We wrestle with the enemy by resisting him. We stand firm against him and we accept no other alternative. We do not give in to his pushing. We do not give in to his agenda. We resist it. We, we turn away from it. We cannot be passive. We cannot just say, oh, whatever, I'll just give in. We are not to be passive. We are not to be naive. We're not to be accommodating. We're not to pretend that the battle is over. We're not to be blissfully, seek to be blissfully ignorant. We are to actively resist. We are to push back against his schemes. We are to push back against what he does. We are not to be pushovers, but we are to push back and resist. Oh, this is so important because I think sometimes we don't resist. It's so important to see that we must push back. We cannot give in when we come under his attacks. Part of why I covered last week the schemes of the enemy, the playbook, is that you would be able to identify what he's doing. You would be able to see, oh, okay, this is what's going on, and that you can, with this week in mind, push back, recognize this is what's going on. This, this condemnation I'm experiencing when it says that in Christ there's no condemnation and I've come to Christ, I've turned from my sins and therefore I have no reason to live in condemnation. This is the enemy. This is the accuser of the brethren pushing on me, attacking me, trying to assert his way with me and so I'm not to give in. I'm not to say, yes, I, I, I'm terrible, I'm, I'm awful, I'm, I'm unwelcomed and unloved and and to go off in that direction. You're not to live in condemnation. You are to push back and resist that assertion. If it's temptation in your life, temptation to, to give in to, to false comforts and empty idols or, or to give in to natural appetites and just things that you know are going to lead you in a wrong direction and you see this happening and you see these thoughts and you see these temptations, you're not, you're not to give in to that. You're to recognize, whoa, this is a scheme of the enemy. He is at work 
tempting me. He's lying to me about these things. He's telling me this way is good when God's Word says no. I've, I've sent my Son to die on the cross and rise again to forgive you for those things and give you power for something much better. And so you resist. You say, no, I will not give in to that. I will not give in to that temptation. It could be just believing lies about the character of God. Boy, this is a common one. He lies to us in certain ways. He can tempt us to do evil. He can tempt us to believe lies and doubt who God is. And it might be just, you know, God is, He's just strict. You know, Christianity is just legalism. It's just all these rules and, and there's such a high standard. God is so strict. And if you fall one little bit short of that standard, He is going to He's going to disown you and kick you out. and It's just all about the standard. You've got to follow the standard. And it's impossible. I can't do this. It's impossible. And those are all lies about God. Now, they have a little bit of truth in them, don't they? But they're lies. Where the enemy's coming, and he's lying about the nature of God. God is gracious. Oh, how, how, how clear could he be in Scripture? What more could he do? <laughs> To communicate to us that He's gracious. That He longs to be gracious to us. That His orientation is, come to me so I can forgive you. So that I can show you my Son, my provision. How could He be more gracious than to give His only Son to pay for our sins? So we could be forgiven and live in His love and live in His family and be accepted not on the basis of our righteousness, but on Christ alone. And then in that new relationship, yes, He changes us and makes us more and more like Christ. But our acceptance and our righteousness is not based on our performance. It's based on Christ. He's gracious. And this is His eternal plan. So He is gracious at the root of who He is. When He thought, how am I going to show my character and my glory in creation? At the center of this is Jesus. I'm going to come as a man. And I'm going to die for sin. Because I want this part of my character to be on central display for all to see. So God's character, His graciousness, His love, His patience is the truth. And so we resist the enemy when he says otherwise. We push back. I'm not going to buy that. I'm not going to let this filter in and poison my view of God. I'm going to push back. I'm going to resist. We resist the enemy. When discouragement starts to come upon us like wave upon wave, we start doubting and get discouraged about what God might do in and through our lives or situations. We get overwhelmed. Recognize. Now, that, that is, includes you. It includes worldly views. So right, we learn about the three enemies. So don't discount that aspect. But when discouragement comes like that, the enemy is at work. That's the scheme of the devil. So that discouragement that you might think is just, this is just normal, and maybe it is normal for you. It's not normal for the Christian. It's not what God calls you to. He doesn't call you to live in constant discouragement. Resist. Resist the devil. Resist that discouragement and the lies that it's based on. And, and I hope you can see how these things can work in, in so many ways with our natural weaknesses and propensities. We might be prone to depression or other things. But when that depression starts to turn into darkness and despair, and you start thinking dark thoughts about God and what He thinks about you, you start thinking dark things about the church, the enemies at work. It works in all sorts of ways. We have to, we have to recognize His schemes. We are called to resist the enemy. We are not to give in. 
We are to resist. We are to push back. And, and we're not to, to kind of compromise. Another thing I've seen happen is just people, they don't give in totally, but they let it affect them a little bit. And they start to say that's okay. So they live in a place where maybe it's a, a temptation to uh, some immorality, some sinful thing. And they don't give themselves wholly, but they kind of let it just linger. And they, they kind of let it stay near. And they let that temptation kind of be there in their lives. And, and they let themselves struggle all the time. And they just kind of live there. Instead of resisting the enemy. Actively saying, this is not okay. This is not normal Christianity to live in this place where I'm constantly oppressed by this temptation. That's not okay. Or, or whatever it might be. There can be this compromise uh, that goes on and this spiritual malaise that kicks in. And this new normal. Oh, I see it so often. And we can label it with things that make it seem okay. We can take a doctrine of suffering, which is an important doctrine. The reality is to live in this world is to suffer. We live, and the enemy does have his way. The enemies do, do have their way to a degree. So we suffer. That's true. But, but that's not a justification for the doctrine of cynicism. The doctrine of suffering, the truth of suffering, does not support the doctrine of cynicism. It doesn't say, I therefore can be melancholy and doubt the sincerity and the, and the, and the goodness of of all these things because of the doctrine of suffering. No, the enemy has got into your doctrine of suffering and has deceived you to think that it's okay to live short of the, the love and joy and peace that God would give you. It's in the Word. So we are to resist. We're to push back. We're not to give in to full or even partial defeat. We ought to see that God calls us to live in Him and in the victory we have in Christ. We are to experience the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It, Paul says in, in Romans 14, the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. This is to characterize the Christian's life. And so if we are not living in these things, it very well may be that you have given in to the devil's schemes and you've accepted a new normal. And let me tell you what the Scripture says. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Push back against his schemes. And he gives us everything we need in the Word. I don't have time to get into all the details today. But he gives us what we need to resist. I trust today you will be better equipped with that. The Christianity of the Bible is not a dark Christianity of curmudgeonly cynics, who walk around like shell-shocked survivors of some spiritual blitzkrieg stumbling about in the streets. The biblical Christian resists the devil and does not give in and lives in the victory Christ has for them. And through that victory and through his ministry to you and through you, the Christian experiences love and joy and peace and righteousness. So how about you? Have you given in to a compromised Christianity where you accept a degree of defeat by the enemy? Are you limping along as his victim when the Bible has something much better for you? You are to resist the devil. We are to resist the devil and watch him flee. God wants you to thrive in his grace, not merely survive. We resist.
next. We remember. We'll get into Ephesians 6, the, the different armor soon, and you'll see that much of the armor is, is really about remembering. Remembering the word, remembering the truth, remembering aspects of the gospel, living in those and having them being active in our lives in very practical ways. Uh, if you look through, you'll see that the, there's this belt of truth. There's shoes with of the uh, fit, uh, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So most of the armor is related to the word, the truth of God, the the promises of God and the commands of God. And by the way, the commands of God are promises. They're commands. They're a call to a better way of life. There's a promise of blessing. And, and goodness and holiness in the command. So command is a natural outflow of the gospel, of the gospel promise to us. We have everything in Christ, and now he says live this way so that you might walk and be like him. So the commands and promises are, uh, the, the, prom- uh, are the word of God, basically, in, in summation. And, and these are the things we remember. This is what Jesus did, right? When he was tempted in Matthew, as recorded in Matthew 4, when he was tempted by the devil, the devil came and, and, and tempted him with different things. Uh, and a very similar to temptation that had gone on really for Adam and for the people of Israel, and they failed. Jesus succeeded in this temptation. And He succeeded by remembering the Word. If you look through that passage in Matthew 4, you'll see again and again, He says, when the enemy says, do this thing, and the enemy even quotes Scripture too in it, He says, do this thing. Jesus says, it is written. It is written. He remembers, he recalls, he states, he proclaims the truth of God. And he counters the enemy with the Word and overcomes him with the Word. He remembers the Word of God. Remembering God's truth is oh so important in the battle. Reminding ourselves of that truth. Reminding one another of the truth of God, the promises of God. The the character of God through the Scriptures, the commands of God, this new life He calls us to and empowers us for is so important. It's such a key aspect to resisting the devil. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair, uh, in the story, there's this evil witch. She she takes um, the heroes of the story captive uh, in her dark underworld. Uh, She takes Jill and Eustace and Puddleglum and Prince Rillian captive in this dark underworld. And they're down in that world and she starts to use a spell, a magic spell, to uh, get them to stop believing that there's an overworld, to stop believing in the real world. Because they're rebelling against her and they're threatening her, her reign in the underworld. And so she, so she starts to, to get them in this spell, she, you know, uses magic stuff, and then she says lies to them. She speaks lies to them. And so they, they try to recall the overworld and and, and every time they do, she says, oh, that's not true. That's just your imagination. There's no sun. There's no sun. There's just these lamps down here, and you're thinking that there's something greater up there. And There's no trees. There's no sky. And there's no Aslan. Aslan is the Christ figure in, in the Chronicles of Narnia. There's no Aslan. There's just little cats. You're thinking, you're deceived. And, and, and they start to come under her spell, and they think, no, that's right. There's just this underworld, just this dark place. That's all there is. Well, there's a character... In the story, Puddleglum, he's the least likely character really to, to push back against this. He's a, a, a cynical, depressed marsh wiggle, whatever that is. And, and, and yet in the story, he stamps out the magical fire that is 
getting them in a spell, and he starts to proclaim what the overworld is like. Actually, he's not totally sure that it's real either at that point because he's still under the spell. But he, but he has enough because of the burn on his foot and putting the fire out to start proclaiming the overworld. No, there is... There, I'm going to believe in a sun. I'm going to believe in trees. I'm going to believe in Aslan. And as he does that, the spell gets broken over everybody. And Prince Rillian, who's been imprisoned in the underworld for quite some time, is freed, and the whole underworld comes collapsing down. It's a great story and a metaphor for the reality of this passage, the reality of God's Word. The enemy would want to deceive us. The enemy would want to get us to believe lies. He would want to twist truth to get us to compromise what the Word says in different ways, to, to believe that it's just not true. God really isn't like that. Oh, no, no, He's not going to take care of you. Oh, that promise to never leave you or forsake you? Well, I mean, it's, it's got to be qualified here, you know. Um, heaven isn't quite as good as you may think it is. Uh, you, things aren't going to work for you. It's going to fail. And, and He says these things these lies, and gets us to come under these things. And, and, and it could be false promises, too. Oh, this thing's really good. Uh, this is, there's nothing better than, than this thing. Drugs or alcohol or illegitimate sex or whatever it might be. This is good. This is fun. And it gets you to come under the spell. And you fight back and you win by remembering by remembering the Word, by remembering the truth, by recalling and declaring it. And sharing it with each other too. That's, that's part of why we are together as a church. It's part of why we get together during the week in our small groups. Because we need to remember and we need to remind each other and refresh each other in these truths. We need to encourage one another. In this battle, we need to come alongside each other and help each other. It's why we value the Word. And I would just encourage you to read the Word, to memorize as much of the Word as you can, to, to pray the Scripture, to listen to Sunday messages and other good godly messages, to, to marinate in Scripture, to believe and obey Scripture, to remind each other, to know the truth and have the truth make you free. This is so important. This uh, past month actually for me uh it's probably it's i was going to say it's uncanny but i think we ought to expect it i've experienced some of the most spiritual warfare i have experienced in a year or more just over the past month and i know in talking with many of you uh, you're feeling the same stuff i don't think it means we should shy away and change our series <laughs> um i think it means that we're kind of kicking and poking in a, in a place where the enemy doesn't want us to because there's a lot of progress we can make in this area. But it means that there's warfare. And it means we have a chance to apply these things, doesn't it? And for me, I've just this past week had, had these sort of lies and things come along. Things, just reasons to doubt and despair. And, and, and I've been in it long enough to be able to recognize this isn't just me. Um, this is the enemy. And, and their lies, uh, the, one, the ones that have gone on this week for me are, um, are you know, this whole thing's not going to work. This church is going to eventually fold and all this stuff's going to, there's not going to be any money and you're going to, and you just left your career and you spent your retirement on your, on your house and, uh, and so you're not going to have any money and you're just going to be this lonely old guy eating dog food trying to get by under a bridge somewhere. That's the lie. 
that's been there, uh, that you're just not going to make it. It's going to total failure. Um, now, it isn't always that eloquent, uh, but that's more or less what it is. And, there's, and it's not just the content of the deception, right? It's the power of it. It's not just like, oh, well, that's an interesting concept to consider, you know, and I can just kind of logically prove that that's least likely or unlikely. No, no, there's power. There's, there's power in it that, that, that wants to make me come under that and live in fear and live in doubt and forget the promises of God. And you know what's really helped me? Digging into God's Word, praying, and in prayer, proclaiming the truth and remi reminding myself of these truths. Uh, reminding myself and hearing others talk about the Word of God and the promises of God. The, the, the fact is that, that you know, uh, whether I'm going to live under a bridge or not, I belong to Jesus, and, and I'm safe and secure in that. And I want to follow Him and obey Him, whatever He calls me to do. That's, that's the truth I'm countering with this thing with. It's, I'm, I'm not even going to worry. You're not going to snag me on that because I know where that goes. I've been there, done that. I'm going to live. I belong to Jesus. And whether I live or I die, I belong to Jesus. To live uh, is Christ, to die is gain. And I'm going to live in that truth. And it's that, that has really broken it for me and given me power to resist. How are you doing? How are you doing in spiritual warfare? And how can we help each other remember the Word of God, remember the truth in our wrestling match? Next, I want to just briefly talk about the next thing we do in our wrestling. We remain in prayer. We remain in prayer. We'll get to this more later, but if you look through Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, you'll see uh, a lot of references, particularly near the end, verses uh, 18 and following. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, a type of prayer. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Really, the idea is praying, keeping alert to pray with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There's a lot of praying going on in this passage. There's a lot of praying for all situations and all types of prayer. It, it's, it's to pervade every aspect of spiritual warfare. We're to pray. We're to remain in prayer. It's interesting that Paul doesn't give prayer a, a uh, metaphor. He doesn't say it's, you know, it's like this. I don't know, I don't know why. Uh, maybe it just didn't fit right and he didn't want to limit it. Um, you know, it's the Word of God, so I'm totally good with how it says it. But maybe if I were to think of it, I'd think of it as like catapults or something, you know. Uh, make sure the catapults are working and stuff um, for the Roman context. For us, you know, I think of airstrikes. Prayer is like an airstrike or an artillery barrage. We're in the battle together. We're the soldiers on the front. And through prayer, we call in the barrages. And they come. And not, what's really cool, I don't know if you ever play a video game where there are airstrikes or artillery barrages. You know, usually you can only do it once, right? You can only call it once in the, in the level. I'm, and uh, I'm not a video game geek, by the way. I'm really bad. But occasionally I play. Uh, you can only call in one strike, and you can't be where it hits, right? Because you'll get, you'll get destroyed by it. Well, you can be where these strikes hit. Matter of fact, you're supposed to be where they hit. Uh, you call in the strikes, and you have limitless strikes. You can call them in all the time, throughout the whole battle, to pray. That's why Paul says to pray all, at all times, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray, pray, pray. Pray and pray some more. And when you're done praying some more, pray even some more and gather some others to pray. Are you struggling? Is life difficult? Are you going through the spiritual battle? Are you facing challenges? Pray and get with others and pray. 
call in the artillery, call in these airstrikes, and watch the Lord work. Oh, we need to pray. And thank you for how you pray. We need to pray. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters. We need to pray for those who are, all of us, facing battles and wrestling. We need to pray for leaders, leaders of this church. Thank you for praying for me and for our other leaders, our pastors and pastoral candidates and deacons and other leaders. Thank you. We need prayer. We need to be praying for one another. How many, I, how many fallen leaders I think would have been rescued and prevented from their fall had their people prayed enough? I don't know. But I think if we, when we get to heaven, we might see those connections. Thank you that you pray for us. I don't presume, I don't presume, and I don't presume for any of our leaders in our own strength, apart from your prayers, we need your prayers. And God gives us strength through your prayers. And we should be praying, praying for one another, praying for churches in New England, praying for all those who are advancing the gospel. We are to remain in prayer. And finally, one more way to resist. We are to take the authority we've been given in Christ, to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given, and we are to use that authority. We are to act in that authority. And where appropriate, we are to rebuke the enemy, even directly. There's a time to step up and speak authoritatively over the situation and over the activity of the enemy. I know people can abuse this. I know there are people who rebuke the devil when they don't get a parking space. I know that goes on. I know there are people on the other side of things who, who rebuke high-level spiritual forces that Scripture actually, I think, forbids us from rebuking. High-level demons like in Daniel 10 and so forth that preside over culture. Now, by the way, we are to pray against their activity. We are to pray for the advance of the gospel to undo their authority and their ability, but not directly. We can even pray, Lord, rebuke those spirits, whatever they're doing. Come against them so your people can thrive, the gospel can go forward, but not directly. So I know there are people who, who abuse the rebuke thing, but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's a time and a place, and, and we're given instruction in Scripture in this. Jesus himself, of course, rebuked demons and gave his disciples authority to do the same and it, and it wasn't just for people who were demonized when when there was demonic activity going on around him he rebuked satan we know in the uh in the temptation in matthew 4 after he said it is written it is written it is written he says in matthew 4 10 be gone satan for it is written and peter when peter offered a heretical view a wrong view of what christ ought to do he said, get behind me, Satan. In Luke 10, we learn that the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. We're given authority. This is the testimony of Scripture. As God's people, we have authority over demonic activity. And when we recognize what's going on, after we have resisted and remembered, and the battle continues, we are in the place there to speak authoritatively and say, Be gone! And to pray with confidence the Lord would intervene. 
This is the testimony of Scripture. This is the testimony of the church as well. It's really remarkable, actually, to look at some of the early church fathers and what they wrote. I think we have a couple of quotes coming up uh, to look at. Justin Martyr, the year 155, said this, uh, For numberless demoniacs throughout the whole world and in your city, many are Christian men, exercising them in the name of Jesus Christ, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, have healed and do heal, rendering helpless and driving the possessing devils out of the men, though they could not be cured by all the other exorcists and those who use incantations and drugs. Justin Martyr is saying just regular brothers in Christ are doing this in the streets where it's happening. Later on, Origen, a uh, hundred years or so later, is speaking. He says, what spirit must be which fills, uh, fills her mind? He's talking about a, a, a pagan priestess. He says, unless it be of the same order with those demons which many Christians cast out of persons possessed with them. And this we may observe, that they do it without the use of any curious magic or incantations, but merely by prayer and simple adjurations, which the plainest person can use. Isn't that great? Because for the most part, it is unlettered persons who perform this work. That's making manifest the grace which is in the word of Christ and the despicable weakness of demons, which in order to be overcome and driven out of the bodies and souls of men do not require the power and wisdom of those who are mighty in argument and most learned in matters of faith. No, simple believers, unlettered, basically they're uneducated, are taking authority over demons and, and all the you know, exorcists or whatever that, that are in the pagan religion cannot do what they, these simple people do simply at a word. Be gone, Satan. That's the authority we have in Christ. We need to recognize that and practice it appropriately, but to do so. To, do, to not do so is to fail to recognize our authority and obligation as believers. He chooses us to extend the kingdom and to push back the darkness. He uses us. And so if we're not exercising the authority, if we're not wrestling the way we ought to, and when appropriate rebuking, we are falling short of what we're called to do. Can you imagine a police officer new on the job, and he's called to direct traffic? But he thinks, you know, I've never done this. And I'm going to go out in the middle of the street and tell people to stop and go here and there? Now, it's understandable that he might be hesitant. But he's a police officer. He has the authority of, of the police force and of the city. And he has the responsibility to go out and direct traffic and to say to this car, you go here and you go there. And to do that, well, brothers and sisters, you and I are the same authorities in the heavenly because of Christ. And Christ calls us to go there and tell this one to be gone and to take authority. And often our spiritual battles are because we don't go the whole way when it's time to do that. We're called to rebuke appropriately, to not hesitate. We know the playbook, right? We know the schemes. When we've resisted and remembered, it's time to rebuke. And there's a time to just simply say any, any spiritual force attached to this doubt that's going on in my mind that I do not receive, I command you to be gone in Christ's name and not to return. It's that simple. And you're not, you, you don't necessarily have to know what's going on. You don't have to say, I know all the spirits and their names and all that. You don't have to do that. You just have to simply recognize there's something going on here and take authority and just pray that. You're not going to hurt anything. You're gonna, you have everything to gain in that sort of prayer. 
And I've seen God use that to break the power over people's lives and break the power over situations when we, when we come to that stage. If the bank come up as we close. I just want to share one story here. A testimony of someone who went through a, a wrestling match and came out the other side victorious. And this was written uh, by a pastor who counsels, a pastor and church leader who counsels others stuck in spiritual defeat. And listen to what this man said. I, I contacted you because I've been experiencing a host of seemingly inexplicable psychologically related attacks. My emotional troubles were probably rooted in my childhood experience with horror movies, Ouija boards, and so on. I clearly remember fearing a visit from devilish forces after I saw the movie entitled The Blood of Dracula. My father had a pretty hot temper and was given to emotional outbursts. My survival response was to sulk and blame myself for upsetting him. Bottling my emotions inside becoming, became a way of life. As I grew into adulthood, I continued to blame myself for any and all personal shortcomings and misfortunes. Then I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I grew spiritually over the next several years, but I never enjoyed complete peace. There was always a lingering doubt about my relationship with God, whom I saw as distant and stern. I had difficulty praying, reading the Bible, and paying attention to the pastor's sermons. I seriously questioned the purpose of life. I experienced horrible nightmares that woke me up screaming. It was during my time of prayer with you that I finally found freedom in Christ. And the prayer that he went through was very similar to what we talked about today, just simply resisting. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Remembering truth and promises, and then rebuking. I realized that God is not a harsh, aloof disciplinarian, but a loving Father who takes joy in my accomplishments. I experienced a great release when I prayed through the final step. Now, when I read God's Word, I understand it like never before. I've developed a more positive attitude, and my entire relationship with my Lord has completely changed. Since our meeting, I haven't had one nightmare. I'm afraid there are many Christians like me out there leading lives of quiet desperation due to the attack of demonic forces. And if I can fall prey to these forces and seem all right, so can others. I believe that's true. And I believe that for some, they don't even know. They've just learned to live under a degree of defeat. And the enemy, when the enemy would want full defeat or just for them to continue, God wants victory and new life. He's given us the resources and He commands us to wrestle and to wrestle in these biblical ways. If you are struggling, I just want to tell you that you have what you need in Christ. You, you can simply walk in these things, to walk in what you have in Christ, to wrestle, to resist, to remember, and rebuke. You, you don't need to go to a guy who's a specialist. You don't need to come to me. You can do it as a believer, just to walk in these things, these truths, to wrestle. Now, having said that, I am available, and our pastoral leadership team is available to help you. And others as well, we need each other. So if you are struggling and need help, please let us know. Please don't settle for less. Please recognize the schemes of the devil and learn to wrestle and win in Christ. What I want to do before we close in song and proclaiming the victory we have in Christ, I just want to take a minute, and maybe for you, you just need to say, Lord, help me. I realize I've been given in and I've come under things. I've come under lies. I've come under lies about myself. I've come under lies about God's church or whatever it might be ask for help and certainly I'd love to talk to you later or maybe you know someone else 
and, and you see what's going on, you just want to pray for them. Let's take a minute or so to do that, and then we'll close in song.